0: If you would open your Bibles this morning, we'll be reading from John chapter 11, verses 28 through 44 and 12, verse 1. Again, that is John chapter 11, 28 through 44 and 12, verse 1. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary arose quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man, who opened the eyes of the blind, also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe you sent me. Now when he said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. In verse 12 verse, chapter 12 verse 1, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who, is, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead.
1: I am glad to be back with you. I've been missing being here in the pulpit, missing uh, seeing the brethren here, and I'm thankful for your prayers and for the cards, for the calls, wanting to know how I was doing as I was recovering. I'm thankful for that. I've gotten out of practice, I guess. I forgot to send the title of the sermon and the passage to, <laughs> so we could... uh so we could have the, uh, the proper song, but Carl, it does such a great job. He, he sang about purity, about redemption, and about being strong in Christ, and that all fits in with exactly what we're talking about this morning. Jesus, of course, is the master teacher. He used illustrations that could be easily understood by those who were listening to him. He talked about sowers going forth to sow. He spoke of vineyard workers, priceless treasures, He talked about fishing and building. Everyone could relate to the things about which Jesus spoke. They were agriculture and nature. People understood if you found a priceless treasure, go sell all you've got to get it because they weren't the wealthiest people in the world. And he used those things for illustration, but he also used people from time to time to illustrate things, didn't he? He used people a lot. We recall the woman with the issue of blood who had had this problem for 12 years. He healed her because of her great faith, but he used her also to explain what his purpose was. His purpose was to come to the, uh, to search out the, uh, lost sheep of the household of God. But he also demonstrated his passion on the Gentile. He cast out hundreds of demons from the Gadarene, showing his power over the spiritual realm. He raised the widow's son from death as He did Jairus' daughter, describing and demonstrating how He could overcome physical things such as death in this world. But when He raised those two people, and as far as is recorded for us, He raised three people from the dead. There were people who raised many more than that throughout the Bible. But what would the skeptics say? Well, they were carrying the widow's son on the deathbed to be buried, or He walked in and touched Jairus' daughter who was laid out on her bed as if she were asleep, and they say, well, they were just fainting. They had swooned and, and they weren't really dead. But when He came to perform the miracle about which we are reading today, He performed the greatest miracle that had ever been performed by anyone on this earth. He raised a man from the dead who had been dead for four days. Not only was he dead, he had begun to decay. And his sister told Jesus, Lord, by this time he stinketh. He's been dead for four days, verse 39. Martha didn't believe that there was life in the graveyard, did she? But there is. There is life in the graveyard. There are a lot of people today who have a hard time believing that there is life in a graveyard. But there is life in a graveyard. And they allow the terrible things of life to prevent them from seeing properly exactly what God has shown to us. What is the foundation of Christianity? I think the foundation of Christianity, and I think we would all agree, is that Christ walked out of a dead man's tomb, didn't He? He was murdered on the cross. Hey, everybody dies. He was murdered on the cross. He was put in a tomb. Most people are put in a tomb, but he came out. He came out, but here's the thing, to never die again. He came out to never die again. But it doesn't stop there. I think another of Christianity's principles is that every man and woman who obeys the gospel of Jesus Christ can also walk out of a dead person's tomb into the light of life found in Christ. Of course, we're talking spiritual life and spiritual death. The New Testament teaches that salvation is a free gift from God, but it's a free gift from God that has conditions and and requirements attached to It doesn't mean that we're buying it. We're still being given it freely, but it has certain conditions attached to it. When we study the life of Christ... In the few times when he did bring some people from death to life, we learned their physical resurrection was not the primary purpose, was it? No. If if physically resurrecting someone from the dead was Christ's mission on earth, he failed because, as far as we know, as far as we have recorded for us, he brought three people back from the dead. Now he may have very much, very well of of. Uh, raised hundreds of people from the dead. I don't know. We read John 20, and it says the the wall couldn't hold the books recording the things that Christ did. But as far as we know, the information we've been given, He raised three people from the dead. So He failed if that was His mission. But that wasn't His mission. Every time He raised someone from the dead, He did it to show something. He did it to prove something. He did it, so he could bring a far nobler purpose to the minds of people. The resurrection of the spiritually dead. That's what he wanted to do. The master of heaven and earth gave life to the dead and decayed body of Lazarus, his beloved friend. But he wasn't the only person who ever brought someone back to life, was he? No, Paul did it. Elijah did it. Numerous other people did it, but He is the only person who can bring spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead. If one is going to be saved from sin, that person has to participate in that action of being saved from sin. If I'm going to be saved from sin, I have to participate in that. There are certain things that I have to do if I'm going to be pleasing to God, and I can be saved. I'm not working my way to heaven. I'm performing the works of God. Now, when Paul said that uh, works won't get you into heaven, he's talking about our works, right? Works that people do. I can't do enough good things to be forgiven of sin. When we sin one time, the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. One time and it's done. But I can perform the works of God that pleases God and allows me to stand justified in His sight. Now we know what those works are. We talk about them all the time. We need to know what they are. We need to be able to talk to them to people and explain what they are. We need to be able to say, "Hey, this is what the Bible says." Doesn't matter what I say, but it's very important that we understand. Faith is the cog that gets it started. Right? Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible. To please Him. We have to have a faith that Jesus is who He said He was. John 8, 24. We've got the evidence. It's been provided for us. We have to believe that. That causes us to want to repent of past sin, wanting to turn away from worldliness and ungodliness and turn toward God. Luke 13, 3. Acts two thirty eight, Acts three nineteen. Repentance is perhaps the hardest part of salvation, isn't it? Deciding that I'm going to stop doing something. Confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that's a work. It's a work of the mouth. We we profess, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's what the Ethiopian eunuch did, Acts 8:37. That's what Paul demanded, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. So just like repentance, where Jesus said you have to bring forth works meet for or worthy of repentance. So is confession a work. Then we are immersed in water. We go down into the water. We're put under the water. We come up. That That is uh, symbolizing the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ coming up to die no more. But we have to maintain our salvation, don't we? Of course we have to do that. That's what Paul talked about Second 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 8. I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. And now I know there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, not to me only, but to all those who love or look forward to His appearing. See, we have to participate in that. Do You know that the whole time Jesus lived among people in the world, that He never healed or He never raised someone from the dead who was healthy? Now think about that. Someone says, well, of course He didn't heal someone who was healthy. You don't heal a healthy person. You don't raise someone from the dead who's healthy, they wouldn't be in the grave, right? But see, that's our focus, isn't it? He focuses on those who are in need. Isn't that what Jesus said? It isn't the healthy who need the physician. How many of us just look forward to going to the doctor all the time? Well, I've been going to the doctor a lot here lately, and I can't stand it. You have to go sit there, and you get prodded and poked and And, you know, I've lost six gallons of blood over the last probably two and a half weeks. You know, it's hard to recover from that. So we don't go to the doctor because it's fun and enjoyable. We go because we need to. We go because we're unhealthy in some aspect and we need to be fixed. And that's what Jesus did. He's a great physician. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to heal the unhealthy. He came to raise the dead. Again, we're not talking about physical death. That's our illustration, but that wasn't his purpose. He wanted to raise the spiritually dead. He only brought forth those who had died or was in danger of dying, right? He healed the sick. He raised the dead. There is life in a graveyard. That's the title of the sermon this morning. There is life in a graveyard. Not everyone who is in the innumerable graveyards throughout the world has life we know a lot of people. We can go to their grave site today. They're not there. They've gone on to their reward. We know those people who have done that, and they are enjoying life right now. There's life in a graveyard. I want us to use Lazarus as an example this morning to gain a better understanding about being raised from the dead spiritually. And I want us to begin with his condition. His condition is just like everybody else's. At some point, we've all been dead spiritually. We can go back to being dead spiritually. But that's the condition, right? John described Lazarus this way. Now, a certain man was sick, named Lazarus, of Bethany, the town of Mary, uh, and her sister Martha, John 11.1. 1. But he wasn't sick any longer, was he? He was dead. He had died. He'd gone on. His life had expired. He was in a tomb. He was surrounded by family and friends. They were mourning His death. It was over. They thought it was over. I've been to the, to the gravesides of a whole lot of people. Physically, they're not with us anymore. And that's what these people thought. But the Christ was there. But you know what? Lazarus, he didn't know about those people who were sur- surrounding his tomb. He didn't know they were there. He didn't know they were crying. He didn't even know Jesus was standing right there at the grave. He didn't know what Jesus had in mind, what He was going to do. Ecclesiastes 9.5, the dead don't know what's going on in the world today. Now, they know what was there when they left, but they don't know what we're doing now. Now, this idea of the dead looking down upon us is, is not in accordance with what the Bible teaches. So Lazarus, though he had life, he was in the third heaven the Hadean realm. He was there enjoying his reward. He wasn't worried about the things going on in this world beyond wanting his family and friends to come join him there. But he didn't know what the daily interactions were. But he was happy, I know that. But he had taken ill. Now we're not told what kind of illness had befallen Lazarus, but we do know it was serious enough for his sisters to send a message. To the great healer. They wanted the Lord to come and help. The one you love is sick. Please come and help him. You know, again, that ties us right back. Before we can receive help, what do we have to do? We have to ask for help. We have to seek out help. That's what these sisters were doing. They loved their brother. They knew what Jesus could do. Or at least they, they, they understood that he had done some great things. And they wanted him to come and heal their brother from dying. We're responsible for seeking out and asking for help from the one who can help. How many of us go to the mechanic when we're having stomach trouble? I just had a hernia repair. I didn't go to the mechanic. I went to a surgeon. I didn't go to a foot surgeon either, by the way. I didn't go to a knee surgeon. I didn't even pick a brain surgeon. I chose a general surgeon, someone who had done this kind of work before. See, that's what we have to do. We have to go to the one that can help. Christ is the one that can help. I think one thing that should always stand out to us when we study this account is the great faith that these people had in Jesus. They didn't even ask Him to come, did they? They didn't say, hey, I want you to come to our home. They simply said, the one you love is sick. That's all that was needed to be said. He did not have to come there. He could have simply thought and Lazarus would have been healed. They simply said he was sick. That's a statement of faith, isn't it? Lazarus was dead, but I want us to notice the decision that Jesus made that caused the condition that happened. He chose to wait, didn't He? Jesus received the message. He chose to wait. He wasn't going anywhere. That must have confused those closest to him. They understood that he loved Lazarus, that he loved Mary, that he loved Martha. And and that's why uh, John added the statement, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. They were very close to him. They were like family to him. He could go to their home and rest and relax and and kind of uh, get out from all the the burdens that he had, even if it was just for a moment. He didn't have a home of his own. The foxes have holes, the birds have nests, the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. Born in a barn. Buried in a borrowed tomb. Never had a home, never had anything. But he had them, didn't he? I think when we talk about this love, that's the great love, agape love. Now, earlier in the chapter... John talked about that brotherly love that Jesus had. No doubt he had that. But he had a greater, higher love. That's why he waited. That's why he waited. His delay wasn't because of a lack of concern. It was because God operates on His timetable, doesn't He? He doesn't operate on ours. How many of us could be be irritated and angry with God because something happened in our lives that, that we felt like shouldn't have happened? I know when I lost my father, I can remember this and I've probably told you. I'm sitting around in, in the University of Tennessee Hospital. I'm reading about all the great work they'd done on, on head trauma and, and people who had been in terrible car wrecks and how they had survived and, you know, and I'm thinking, well, why not, why not my father? Why not my father? You got all these people who have been healed and who have survived. Why, why is my father not on that list? And some people could be angry with God, couldn't they? And that's usually what we are, at least for a while, isn't it? I was angry for a while. I prayed every day, it seemed like, for two solid weeks all day throughout the day. So why is my Father not an example in this literature that's sitting on the table by the couches in the waiting room, giving hope to everybody? Why did Jesus not go? Why did Lazarus have to die? Well, after waiting more than two days, Christ took His journey to the home of His friends. Why did He wait for the one who He truly loved? He could have raised Him from the dead or from His sickness without even going. After all, He had done that on several occasions, but do you remember what He said as He prayed to God? I'm doing this because of the people here. I'm doing it because of the people. Why in the world, and if we think of it in the rational way, Lazarus was in paradise. Why in the world jerk him out of there? Right? I feel sorry for Lazarus. He left a place we can't even imagine to come back to this place. Now, I love this place, but I've never seen the other one. Right? So in his love, I'm thinking, really? You brought him back from the place where he wanted to go? His love for everybody, right? He wanted to demonstrate his power as the Son of God, as God in the form of man. And so he brought Lazarus out of that grave. At the home in Bethany, Jesus wept, didn't he? We see the condition death. We see that Jesus made a decision. But why did He weep? Despair. Despair. That's part of the condition, isn't it? I might even go so far as to say that's part of the human condition. Have you ever felt despair? Someone says, every day of my life, right? Some people feel despair every day of their life. Jesus felt despair. But what's usually the end result of sickness a lot of the time. Depending on, of course, the sickness, depending on the physical abilities of the individual, depending on the age. But is death a result of sickness often? Sure it is. Sure it is. What comes with that? Despair. Despair from the death of someone we love has touched all of us. All of us. The end result of spiritual death, though, spiritual sickness, rather, will always be death. Not so physically. We can be sick and get over it, come back, be almost as good as we were, or it may be even better sometimes. But when we're talking about spiritual sickness, we're talking that leads to death every single time. And that brings about despair, doesn't it? Christ understood where Lazarus was, but he still was in despair. He wept. Why did he weep? Have you ever thought about that? That has confused me for for years. Why in the world was he... He knew he was going to bring him back. Why was he even sad? He knew he wasn't going to uh, be dead for long. He was in despair because those he loved was in despair. I think sometimes it's more hurtful to see those we love hurt than it is for us to hurt ourselves. I'd a whole lot rather hurt myself than to see my family hurt or anyone else I love. I'd rather hurt myself. I don't want my wife to be in despair. I don't want my children to be in despair. Give it to me, right? That's how we feel about those we love. We would give our lives for those we love. Jesus was in despair because He loved those and they were in despair. They didn't quite understand what was going on. And it hurt Him. It broke His heart and He wept. He didn't allow Lazarus to die because he didn't love or care for him. He allowed him to die because he loved and cared for everyone. He told Martha, John 11, beginning with verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Do not let the sadness and the despair be lost upon us by those who remained. It's always sad when we lose someone. It's always sad when we are separated. But imagine how sad it would be and how worse it would be if that person was spiritually dead. They knew that Lazarus was faithful. They knew that Lazarus was faithful under the Jewish law. He lived in accordance to what the Christ taught. They knew that he was Okay. Now all we have to worry about is I've got to maintain my okay so I can go see those who have gone on, right? I want to, I want to get to heaven because there's a lot of people in heaven I love right now or they're in paradise. I want us to be in heaven together. I want to see them. I want to be there and have that fellowship again. I want to hear some of the stories. I don't know what's going to happen, but I want to be there and enjoy it. I want to be there and, and tell my dad how irritated I am with him after all these years. I want to be there and throw my arms around the people I love and say, boy, it is good to see you. I don't know if that'll even be on our minds or not, but it's on my mind now. Lazarus, Lazarus was in a saved position, but he came back to this world. His family knew that, but imagine how worse it would have been. Imagine being in the position The rich man. The rich man in Lazarus, Lazarus the beggar. He went to Torments, the hadian realm, the lost part of the hadian realm. And you know what he was thinking. He didn't know what was going on back home. But he knew what it was like when he left. And he had five brothers and they weren't faithful. He didn't want them to join him where he was. So do you think on the other side of that great gulf that was fixed where one can't go to the other, That those who are in paradise with Abraham and Isaac and and Lazarus again, that they want us to come and be with them? Of course they do. They're missing us as much as we are missing them, but it's just a little easier probably for them because they know how wonderful it is. See, we don't really know. We read about it. I think it is just amazing. I can't even imagine. But Jesus... He wasn't ready to leave Lazarus in the grave, was he? You know, those other people were. Why do you want to go to the grave? Why do you want to move that stone? He's dead. It's over. I think they'd given up on Lazarus, hadn't they? Do you think they knew about Jesus raising some of these other people? Sure. But not after four days. Not after four days. But Jesus wasn't ready to leave him in the grave. And it is Jesus who makes all the difference. Now we're not going to go to a grave today and find physical life, but we can go to a graveside and be in the presence of life. Or at least our mind can go back to that individual and say, boy, I can't wait to see that person. I don't go to graves. That's just not something I personally do. I went to my I went to my father's graveside a couple of days after he was buried and I took a rose off of his off of his uh, grave and, and I brought it home with me and I have pressed it and I still have it, but I haven't been back. I don't know, I hope that doesn't make me someone who doesn't love their daddy. But it does make me someone who looks forward to seeing his daddy again and someone who has a hard time with that in this life going back and, and seeing that. Some people enjoy doing that. In fact, my father was one of those people. I think he went to every graveyard within a thousand mile radius of where he lived. But this sickness that caused the death of Lazarus, this condition, led to the call. That's our second final point. We cannot overlook the preparation that took place prior to Lazarus coming from the grave. Here's something we need to understand. We need to understand this in the spiritual realm. We need to understand the examples in the physical realm. God will never do for us what we can do for ourselves. We can't create rain, but we can work the soil and create crop. We can't make life happen, but we can uh, nurture life, and we can raise animals, and we can we can uh, nurture our children, and we can do our part. God will never do for us what we can do for ourselves. Do you think He could have moved the stone, the rock, the boulder? He raised a man from the dead. Surely he could have moved the boulder. Do you think he could have caused the uh, grave clothes on wh- in which uh, Lazarus was wrapped to just simply disappear? Well, I mean, he raised a man from the dead. I think he probably could have done that. But he told those standing near, Him, roll the stone back." John eleven thirty nine. Take the take the grave clothes off. John eleven forty four. You know, it is not possible for anyone to save himself, but we can do our part. We can't save ourselves. We can't come with a plan to save ourselves. Who would have ever thought of water baptism uh, associated with salvation? Peter said in uh, 1 Peter 3 verse 20, or 21 rather, the like figure, went to baptism doth also now save us, not to put away the filth of the flesh, but to answer for clear conscience toward God. Who of us would have thought of that? I would have never thought of that. If we're going to try to to mimic a death, a burial, and a resurrection, why do it in water? I don't know. That's God's business. And that's what He chose. All I have to do is do it. I would have probably come up with something else because I would have never thought about that. But God did do that for us because we can't do it for ourselves. All we have to do is obey. All we have to do is obey. All they had to do was move the rock. What's the problem? What if someone had jumped up and said, Now, wait a minute. Why? That's just a work. Yeah, but Jesus said do it. What if someone had jumped up and said, Now wait a minute. You take the clothes off. You raised Him from the dead. Surely you can do that. Jesus said take the clothes off. It's a work that He said to do. So's the plan of salvation. Every single thing. We do it because that's what Jesus said. Can Jesus save and can God forgive any sin? Of which is repented, absolutely. Absolutely he can. We just simply have to do what he said. We just simply have to do what he said. With a loud voice, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. You see, there was life in that graveyard. That's the power. But there had to be the preparation. Lazarus' whole life was preparation, wasn't it? His whole life was preparation. Living the way God wanted him to live. And then those people there had to prepare the things Jesus said to prepare, not because He couldn't do it, but simply because He said to do it. I don't know why He didn't do it, but He did not He told them to do it. And that's all we have to understand. We see this power. But that's not going to be the last time that Jesus utters those words, come forth, there's going to be a resurrection at the end of time, uh, a resurrection of both the faithful and the unfaithful, a resurrection to life eternal, or a resurrection to death eternally. In that last day, He's going to bring forth every soul. And now we just have to make our decision. What will be our end result? We look at Lazarus as an illustration. Do you think that Jesus would have had the type of relationship with Lazarus if He had not been preparing Himself all His life? Could He have... Bonded with Lazarus and his two sisters in that way if he had been an ungodly man and they'd been an ungodly family? I don't think so. He had been preparing his whole life and he did the things God asked him to do. We're going to come forth at some point into a resurrection life because we've done at least one of these things. We've obeyed the gospel. We've obeyed the gospel. We believed, we repented, we confessed. We had our sins washed away in baptism, Acts 22, verse 16. And we lived a faithful life. Now, what does it mean to walk in the light? That means that sometimes we mess up. And if we mess up, we have to confess our faults, James five sixteen. So we will be resurrected to life because of initial salvation and because if we've sinned and when we sinned, We confess that and we ask God to forgive us. That's what He wants us to do. Lazarus was granted life from death. Now that's a very unique thing, wasn't it? I've never read anywhere else in the Bible where a man had been in the grave for four days and he was raised from the dead, but Jesus did it because He is God. But there can be life from death. At some point, we all were dead before we came into life through obedience to the gospel. The last thing we read about Lazarus, one of the last things, John 12, verses 1 and 2, the man six days later who had been dead was sitting at supper with his family and the Lord. That's not so different from what will happen when he comes back this time. We will be sitting at the table of fellowship with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and with everybody else who's gone on before us, who's been faithful, who died faithful, they're simply waiting on us to come and be with them. And that's our question today. Today is the day of salvation, Second Corinthians 6, verse 2. Are we going to go meet those we love? Well, I want to, don't you? I want to go see them. Now, I'm getting ready here in a few months Just like Greg and Holly are, to have a first grandchild. You know, we want to have a relationship with all those babies that are coming, all those friends that we know, where one day when we go on, they say, Boy, I want to see him again. I want to see him again. But we have to be there, and they have to be faithful. And that's our question. Where am I going to be? Answer that today. Answer that today as we stand and as we sing.